The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, folks, got another packed episode for you here. You're going to enjoy it. Got plenty to get to. A lot of NCAA news went down on Wednesday that we need to uh, inform you on because it's going to affect significantly how the college basketball season for 2020-2021 will operate. And then really there's going to be huge impacts next spring and into the summer with a lot of these player decisions. But before that, I need to tell you about a new show with the CBS Sports Podcast family. Our podcast network is thriving and growing practically by the week. Are you a soccer fan? You know what you might be. Have you ever noticed college basketball and soccer fans? A lot of crossing of the streams, a lot of mingling. A lot of college hoops fans are big soccer fans, and I love to see it. So we've got Kay Golazo. It's a daily soccer podcast that aims to bring you the best analysis and commentary from the world's game. They'll have gambling previews, immediate match recaps, and we'll react to all the latest news from Champions League to Premier League to Americans in Europe, everything in between. It truly is a must-listen. It is a daily soccer podcast. Episodes are available now. You can subscribe to K Galazzo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Okay, let's get to the hoops. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and some significant news in the sport came on Wednesday. The NCAA Division I Council voted to give all winter sport athletes, among them men's basketball players, an extra year of eligibility. In other words, if you're a freshman this season, you could be a freshman again next season. If you're a sophomore this season, you can be a sophomore again next season. Same goes for juniors. Same goes for seniors. Norlander, uh, we're never shy about highlighting when the NCAA gets something wrong, so we can give them credit when they get something right. They got this right, didn't they? Yeah, they got it right. Um, this was the expected outcome. There were a number of things the Division One Council voted on this week, um, but this is this was probably the most anticipated among all of them. I mean, the other big one is the transfer, the one-time transfer, which is also going to go through in January. Um, it's interesting, Parrish, uh, that these things happen when they happen because it's going to set up for just a hell of a 2021 in college basketball. But, you know, college basketball coaches I spoke to, not all of them, by the way, but a majority, but not all of them. Some of them thought that, think that this is actually going to create just massive, massive amounts of havoc. Um, but they said, listen, the spring athletes got their year. 
the fall athletes, football included, obviously, they got their extra year. You know, the football teams are playing right now, um, shortened schedules. They might get 10 games in. They might get eight games in. No one really knows. I mean, Nick Saban now has the coronavirus, and Florida's coach went from, uh, I guess, kind of ingest, suggesting that the entire stadium uh, should be packed with fans uh, to now Florida not even playing this week against LSU because of COVID-19. Um, so with that stuff as backdrop, uh, basketball, you know, the coaches know that it, uh, almost no one, if not, if not anyone, period, is going to be able to play a 27-game regular ski season schedule as scheduled. Um, a lot of coaches think that they're not going to get in their full allotment, and then they are definitely anticipating multiple games getting moved around if they're fortunate enough to get those in with. So with that in mind, um, the players, you know, they're not getting the full deal after not getting to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and even players that weren't necessarily going to make the tournament last season, uh, plenty of them lost even the chance to play in their conference tournament. So this makes a lot of sense. It is logical. And now every single season scholarship athlete has uh, has been able to be benefited with that. So yes, this was definitely uh, a good thing, but it's not going to be without complications and those things are still to be figured out, like scholarship limits and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Like, listen, I think the good outweighs the bad here. Um, but but there are some unintended consequences. The scholarship limit thing is not a problem. My understanding is that it'll be, you know, right now you get 13 scholarships in men's basketball. You'll get 13 plus however many seniors you have that want to come back. So if you've got three seniors and, and you take them, they all want to come back and you take them all back, you next season would be able to have 16 scholarship players. If you've got five seniors and, and, and all five want to come back and you want to take them all back, now you get 18 available scholarships. You don't get 18 if only three of your seniors come back and then you can go use two on a couple of Juco guys. Like you don't, that it's not how it works. It, my understanding is that it will probably be 13 plus however many seniors you bring back. Here's, here's one problem. Coaches don't want all their seniors back. I, yeah. I've talked to multiple coaches over the past two weeks who are like, I got four seniors. I would take one of them back. The other three can get out of here. I, I wouldn't mind if they left right now. Like mm -hmm. they, they don't want them all back. It does get expensive for the universities or at least more expensive than it otherwise would be. That's a problem probably at the lower and mid-major level as opposed to the high major level. But it's, it's a thing that, that will have to be considered. And then here's the one that I think is actually the most impactful from a negative standpoint uh, on the basketball court. Imagine you're a four-star, you know, borderline top 50 guy in the class of 2021. You have committed to a school primarily because they've got a senior point guard that you know is out the door. Now you don't know if that guy's out the door. Like what, what, what if he comes back? Now I don't think every senior is going to want to come back. Um, hell, every junior doesn't want to come back. Every sophomore doesn't want to come back. Every freshman doesn't want to come back. So I don't know that every senior is going to want to come back, but a lot of times players make recruiting decisions based on who they think is going to be there and who's not going to be there. And now you've got this unknown where you could be going to school thinking there's real minutes available to you because that senior who plays your position is going to be gone. And now you don't know for sure if that senior is going to be gone. So that, that if we're looking for some possible unintended consequences, th th those things are on the list. But still, I think the good outweighs the bad. There's a lot here. Um, 
what college basketball avoided, uh, I talked with uh, two coaches in the past 72 hours who brought this up, anticipating that this would pass as it did, um, is if this had not happened, uh, one, I think on a certain level, it, it would be fundamentally unfair. No, They wanted this known... We should note, by the way, we're recording this uh, uh, Thursday, October 15th. Uh, college basketball practice has now scheduled, so, has, has started. This, se- this regular season, uh, preseason is underway. Team, Not every team can practice right now, but on Wednesday, the 14th, practices were allowed to begin in earnest. So we are actually now in college hoops' preseason. And uh, programs wanted this decision now heading in because, as two coaches pointed out to me, if you did not do this, you probably would have a situation where um, a certain number, uh, a non-zero percentage of players would have just opted out of playing the season, the way that football kind of dealt with this a little bit in the early going of its preseason. Now, that's not going to be the case. There's no real reason to sit out this season at all if you're a college basketball player, unless you happen to be a high draft pick and maybe you deal with an injury, and then, you know, obviously that could be the only potential reason. But otherwise, you... Well, well, uh, let's state the obvious. Um, You might just not want to risk catching a virus. Correct. Um, that 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 potential is still there. That happened with a player at Central Florida earlier right. this week, um, who opted out. So you are correct. That that is still potentially going to be out there. And if we see another uh, example of that or two or three, that would not be a surprise. Um, outside of that, uh, but in terms of specifically how the virus would impact decisions to remain uh, eligible for this year. Um, outside of that, I think that we uh, we have an answer for all of that. So um, it's, it's a long-awaited decision, but a significant one nonetheless. And it will lead to next season, college basketball, I think, having more collective talent on the whole. I do think that we are going to see most seniors who would be otherwise leaving college wind up leaving college. Not all of them. There will be certainly, there will be instances of that. But just as an example here, like I I don't think that you're going to see Luca Garza return yet again uh, and get another season of eligibility, even though he would be allowed that. Again, barring like, you know, him getting a weird injury, Iowa playing nine games. I guess in theory that could happen, but I don't think those kind of situations are going to be where we see this. I think it's going to be more along the lines of at the mid-major or low-major level if you have a player who thinks, all right, one more year, and I might really be able to help my chances uh, at going pro and getting an overseas deal, kind of, you know, something like that. I think that's where you might see it. I'm not sure you're going to have widespread throughout college basketball, you know, 45% of the senior class deciding to return for another year of eligibility. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think uh, coaches are going to have something of an issue uh, that they're just going to have to deal with. They wanted it. Now they got to deal with this problem of uh, how am I going to just figure out if I want seniors to return and which ones I don't and how I figure all of that out. And and all that stuff will sort itself out, but it is going, it's just another thing to add on to what's a unique season here. Uh, yeah. Because that that's important to, to highlight is that my understanding is that the NCAA is giving everybody an extra year of eligibility. They're not mandating that your school must give it to you. And so that'll be sorted out between the coaching staffs. And it's also important to note, you get an extra year eligibility only if you return to the school at which you're already playing. You don't get an extra year of eligibility and, hey, okay, I'll play this fifth year 
um, at another school. You can't transfer and do it. You got to return to the school where you're at. And I'm with you. I don't think this means that we're going to get a fifth year of Luca Garza at Iowa. People should remember Luca turned out real money overseas already once. I don't think he'll do that again unless, and I think you touched on this, then this is where I could see a real like college star who is a senior actually coming back to school. If things just get cut down to absolute nothing or, and this happens every year in college basketball, a senior you know, uh, uh, breaks his wrist in February. And, and and maybe he was on his way to the NCAA tournament, having a, a, a player of the year type campaign, and then breaks his wrist, it's all over, and he just says, no way, that's not how my college career is ending. I'm going to take advantage of this extra year of eligibility. I could see something like that maybe happening. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um, it will be, listen, it'll be interesting to see what we get next spring. Uh, the decisions need to be made I think by May 1. So you have to also decide this in a reasonable amount of time, which is uh, which is fair. Or, you know, that might be what we're talking about up uh, up next here. Just in terms of when these decisions do get made, you one, you have to stay at the school. It's a very important detail. You can't just... You can't just... You can't just go where you want to go and just keep that extra year. I think that is an important distinction to be to be made there. Um, but yeah, no, it was a significant it was a significant Wednesday in college athletics, but also in college basketball to get this extra year. And it is all winter sport athletes. Obviously, this is a college hoops podcast, so we're going to focus on the men's hoops angle of it. But it is every single winter sport athlete. Um, the only other thing I'll mention on this is that I have had no one recently, but like when I was discussing this with a with a couple of ADs and coaches like three weeks ago, um, you mentioned the, okay, however many seniors you get back, that's just how many you get. That just might have to be what it is, but there were definitely some coaches in some leagues that said, okay, like I might have the third best team. I might have the fifth best team. I might have the ninth best team. And I'm dealing with this team right here. You're telling me if they want to bring back all their dudes, they can have a 17-man roster while I have one senior and I can have 14. Um, how is that equitable? So they weren't outright bitching completely about it, but they were just tossing it out there like, this is going to be imperfect, but there could be some real situations here where some teams, if they're loaded with seniors and they all come back, like, come on now. Like, how uh, can we not be given the opportunity to to match their scholarship limit, some schools are going to even have an issue getting there. To be honest, with with finances, but that's just the one other element of this that I have heard from a few different people about. There could be teams that just simply are in a better spot right now, and if they can get those guys to return, um, yes, you could have a, a year over year, you know, dominant situation with this program or that program if they get all those guys back. Well, I should be clear, like that idea where you get your 13 plus however many seniors you're returning as your scholarship number, isn't something I just made up. That is my understanding how they're handling the winter sports. Like that's how football is going to work. And so I'm assuming that is the way basketball is going to work. And could we look up in uh, November 2021 and somebody is at a wild disadvantage numbers wise because of this? Yes, of course we could. And you know what? It is what it is. We're in the middle of a pandemic, man. If you're complaining about scholarship numbers in the middle of a pandemic, you've lost you've lost perspective. <laughs> it's a shame. And then we'll move on. This didn't happen in the Tyler Hansborough era. We'd have had five years of Tyler Hansborough. That dude would have never left North Carolina if he didn't have to. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Although, shouts to Perry Ellis for getting this done and working around the loopholes long before this became an official rule. So, uh, you know, there 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 were torchbearers, there were trailblazers, and uh, Perry Ellis is one of them. Did what Tyler Hansbrough could not, but yes, um, without a doubt, Carolina twenty ten national champions. If Hansbrough had returned, I don't <laughs> they would have they would have gone back to back, and then Tyler Hansbrough could have once again said. Nobody thought we could do this. That's my fa- that's my favorite 2009 quote. Tyler Hansbrough after they win a national championship saying, "Nobody thought we could do this." I'm like, "Dude, you were preseason number one. Everybody everybody thought you could do this." I like, believe. I think if I remember correctly, that's when uh, Billy Packer was still uh, with CBS, and I think it was Hansbrough. Uh, Packer was like asking him something, and then uh, he said, um, "He said, you got to give Roy his respect. You got to give." Uh, Carolina's respect, and I want my damn respect too. I think Hansborough <laughs> said that in 2009. I think that uh, actually happened. It was so good. But poor Le- LeBron out there talking about he needs respect. I'm like, who doesn't respect you outside of maybe Skip Bayless? Like everybody else, you're 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 you are commonly referred to as the king. I think I think you've got respect. Well, whatever. Shouts to LeBron. Shouts to Tyler Hansborough. I wrote a column on Wednesday afternoon suggesting that no program will benefit from this extra year of eligibility in the 2020-21 season more than the Kentucky Wildcats. And the reason is because every program could, in theory, benefit going forward. But as it relates to this season, there's a really interesting thing unfolding at UK that I know Kentucky fans are familiar with. I'm not sure how sure common casual basketball fans were familiar with, which is among the reasons I wanted to write about it. So Olivier Saar is there. He's a seven foot, 255 pound center from France who played three years at Wake Forest. And then after Danny Manning was fired, which happened like six weeks after the season ended, he decided he wanted to transfer. Unsurprisingly, he transferred to Kentucky because Kentucky is loaded with talent once again, but they did kind of have a hole in the middle and they only returned one player anyway. So as soon as he announced his transfer, it, it seemed likely that he would land at Kentucky. And so he did. He applied like everybody else does, or almost everybody else does, for a waiver to play immediately. Um, and the NCAA granted that waiver weeks ago. And yet he's still not eligible. And the reason is because the SEC has a bylaw. It's bylaw 14.1.15. And it states that a student athlete who, upon enrollment at the certifying institution, has less than two years of eligibility remaining, shall not be eligible for intercollegiate competition at a member institution until the student has fulfilled a residence requirement of one full academic year at the certifying institution. The problem for Olivier Saar here is that he played three years at Wake Forest. He only has one year of eligibility remaining, and he is not a graduate transfer. So he is th- – this, this, this bylaw is an obstacle. That is why he has not been ruled eligible yet at Kentucky. The NCAA signed off on it a long time ago. The SEC has not. But now, guess who has more than one year of eligibility remaining? Olivier Saar. Every, the answer to that question, by the way, is everybody. Literally everybody in college basketball, including Olivier Saar. So it'll be I, – I, my understanding from talking to people as this is that this almost certainly clears the way for the SEC 
to allow Olivier Saar to play at Kentucky this season. Now, if you wanted to nitpick it, it does say upon enrollment at the certifying institution and upon enrollment, in other words, in other words the, the day that Olivier Saar enrolled, he did have less than two years of eligibility remaining. Mm-hmm. He had that one. But as of October 15, 2020, he has multiple years of eligibility remaining because the NCAA is giving an extra year to everybody. And so I guess if you wanted to nitpick it, you could, but making him ineligible now would fly in the face of the spirit of the rule. And that's why I don't believe he's going to be actually held out this next season. Yesterday was a good day for seniors all over this country. It was an especially good day for Olivier Saar because it probably is the thing that allows him to play for the Wildcats this season. Yeah. What team, what, what school is he at right now? Kentucky. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, who's the coach? John Calipari. Okay. Yeah. Olivia Sarr is going to be clear to play. <laughs> like, this is going to happen. If it, if it's not, uh, it'll make for a hell of an interesting story, and I would think we might even lead a podcast with it. But at this point, with everything that has happened, um, Sarr getting another year, I just I I don't know what's taking so long. Um, for all I know, someone has communicated to either Calipari directly or. Um, someone in that Kentucky basketball operation that this is a mere formality and it is going to get done. Uh, I don't know if that has or has not happened, but you got to believe their expectation is that this is going to be what is going to happen and he is going to be able to play. And that it, it does. Um, I don't know if Olivier Saar is going to be the, the key to unlocking Kentucky being like a top 10 level final four contending team or not. I'm not sure of that yet. He was a solid player at Wake Forest. He became one of these players that in part because he went to Kentucky and in part because, um, you know, he was a, he was a power conference, big man, uh, who, you know, wasn't, you know, able to shine at a program that was really in a tailspin. He just became a top five name transfer of the off season in 2020. And so sometimes we tend to overhype these players sometimes, um, so I'm not sure whether or not he is going to get on that roster and suddenly be like a top three guy or not, but his inclusion will certainly make a difference, I believe, between uh, Kentucky's forecast with versus without him. Well, I, I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago, and they accurately pointed out, well, like they asked me, they said, they said, like, how good is he? Like, is he great? What? Like, he's like, he's seven foot and he's uh, played three years of college and he wasn't going to get drafted. Like, how good is he? Like, you know, seven foot seniors who don't lack physical tools are usually seven foot seniors for a reason. It's the point this person made. And he said, remember, two years ago, Reed Travis was going to go to Kentucky and be a monster. He just wasn't. He wasn't, Last but he was solid, but he wasn't what was built up. But he did. He was good, but he was not what we said he was going to be. That's right. Last season, Kerry Blackshear played three years in the ACC, transferred to Florida. He was going to be a first-team All-American. Just wasn't. No. He was, a, he was, a, he was the, maybe the second-best player on a whatever team. And so I, I sort of ended the column by saying, listen, I don't know how great he's going to be. But even if he's not great, he will help because he fills an obvious need and he adds experience to a really, really super young roster. So even if he's not an all-American level guy who turns himself into a top 20 pick, um, he is somebody that that Kentucky could could certainly use. And this this vote by the NCAA Division I Council on Wednesday is probably going to be the thing 
that that allows him to play for Kentucky this season. And and I guess for Kentucky at all, because he had, I believe, already stated, like, if I'm not eligible this season, I'm, I'm bounced. Like, I ain't sitting out a year to play one year. Mm-hmm. So it, it changes his his future uh, entirely. And I, I do think, I should stress, I, I don't know this, but I do believe this based on conversations I've had, that one of the reasons, because you – I think you said earlier, like, you know, what has taken so long on this? I think on some level, the SEC office understood that this was coming and they didn't just want to violate their own. I mean, it is their rule. Like right. you can't, if you're not a grant transfer and you only have one year of eligibility remaining, you, you got to sit out. Like it's their rule. So to make Olivier Sar eligible two days ago or two weeks ago would have been to undeniably just violate your own bylaw. But now they have cover because of this vote by the NCAA Division One Council. They can say, listen, he would have been ineligible based on the bylaw, but he now has multiple years of eligibility. So now he's cleared to play. I, I think this, this vote that happened on Wednesday gives the SEC cover, and they will be able to justify to other coaches in the league who don't want Olivier Saar eligible. They'll be able to justify to them, we didn't just do John Calipari a solid the the young man's got multiple years of eligibility remaining now. That that bylaw no longer applies to him. I, I think that's where we're at. Yeah, and I think um I think SAR is the only unless you can think of something else that would come to mind or if a listener listens and wants to let us know. Like I think SAR is the only real roster quote unquote question we have left as we've now started the preseason here. Uh that's to be determined, right, Parrish? Anything else that's out well, there, right? Well, you know, don't ever forget, like we found out you know, a few hours after the first game or before the Memphis' second game, James Wiseman suddenly dealing with NCAA issues. So okay. we could have that. Fair. Like there could be a freshman that doesn't, um, d- isn't granted immediate eligibility for a variety of reasons. And we typically don't find those things out, you know, sometimes even after the season starts. Right. But to be fair, we definitely heard whispers about that. Oh, sure. I was talking about it on the radio for a month, and Memphis fans were killing yes. me. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm I like, haven't okay, heard we'll see. Not to say that it's not out there. I just haven't heard anything about any a top 10 prospect facing that. So this might be the only uh, the only thing. Um, to circle back real quick on something I mentioned or referenced earlier in the podcast. So just so we're clear here, there's the, the, the two big decisions about roster management that happened on Wednesday. One was everyone gets the extra year. That's that's happening. The other one is the one-time waiver um, where you get to transfer after whenever you want to do it. Freshman, sophomore, junior, grad transfer. Whenever you want to do it, you will get to go wherever you want and not sit. You only get it once, though. So that'll be interesting to see what players wind up doing. Like, I wonder if we have fewer quote-unquote grad transfers or if we're going to have more players decide, I'm going to stick it out at the school, and when I want to transfer as a grad transfer, that's when I'm going to go. I'll be interested to see how those patterns develop, perish in five or six years. Um, but that's that was approved by the D1 Council. It needs to be voted into legislation at the annual January NCAA convention, which, by the way, I assume is just going to be virtual. <laughs> Normally, that's like a big-time thing. It's in coordination with uh, the college football playoff. Um, I don't know what they're doing there, uh, but that's the board of governors that will push that through. And that is also where if you're going to transfer, I'm almost positive, you need to let your institution, your coach know, hey, I'm out. And that needs to be done uh, by early May of every single season. Um, But this is something that Parrish and I have been harping on on the podcast, I want to say, for like seven years. 
Like, it's finally happened, uh, and I think it's a fair rule. If you want to transfer the first time you do it, you go immediately. If you think you got to transfer a second time, then you're going to have to sit a year. I think that is fair. That's where we're headed, and it's going to be equitable to, across all scholarship sports. And, you know, it was, with the exception of football, uh, men's and women's basketball. In Paris, there was one other random one in there, like maybe hockey. Um, ha- men's hockey. Yep, there you go. Um, that this wasn't the case. Now, that is the case there. Um so those were the two biggest items that came out of Wednesday. There were other small things like, you know, they want to expand the NCAA selection committee from 10 to 12 people, which I'm happy to do. I'll announce my official uh, addition to that committee when the time is proper in a couple months from sure. now. But um, but other than that, no, it's uh, that was that was the other big thing, and it ties into the, the SAR stuff there. But that stuff, just so we're clear, it's going to happen. It just won't be on the books until January when the convention uh, meets, I presume, virtually. Yeah, and listen, I've written multiple columns on that topic. Uh, We've done multiple podcasts on that topic. I don't think it's important to rehash every point why we believe this is a good thing. But make no mistake, we believe this is a good thing. I know there are people out there who intensely argue against allowing student-athletes to transfer from one Division I school to another without penalty. I just think they're wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. And... I was on radio as a guest on somebody's show earlier this week, and they said, but, but, but Gary, what happens, you know, at a mid-major school when, you know, the, the, somebody's there and they discover a diamond in the rough, if you will, and, and then, you know, the high major comes in and offers the person an opportunity to transfer. Like, how is a mid-major school ever going to keep its best player? And I said, that's a good point. That will happen, and I don't care. Like, I, don't, I do not care. You'll never make me care. You'll never trick me into arguing that young people getting what they perceive to be as better opportunities is a bad thing. So it it will not be free agency. The truth is most student athletes are exactly where they want to be. You know, they, they take visits to campuses, they, they develop friendships, they like their coaches, they, they're, they're where they want to be. The majority of people who transfer are people who are looking for more playing time. You only get four years to do this under normal circumstances. Why do you want to sit on the bench when you've probably been a, a starter on your basketball team, whatever basketball team your entire life? Now you're on the bench for the first time in your life. Why not go somewhere else? That, that's, that's, that's a good percentage of transfers. And then it is people like I just described. Um, they always dreamed of playing at the high major level. They didn't get that opportunity coming out of high school. They show themselves to be high caliber um, upon entering college, and then they get high major opportunities. That's another significant percentage of transfers. What's wrong with that? Uh, you know, it, it, when, when a coach is coaching in the, the, the Southern Conference, for the most part, he is coaching there, not because it was his dream. It's because it's the best head coaching job he can get at the moment. And so he does that job as well as he can do it and, and, and is appreciative to have the opportunity. But almost without exception, if that coach is awesome in the Southern Conference and then gets job opportunities at the high major level, they leave. And we all applaud it. Every one of us. We go, oh, man, isn't that awesome? That guy was grinding it out at the Southern, in the Southern Conference, and now the ACC wants him. And so now he gets to go be an ACC coach, which probably was his dream. Now he's uh, in a room with Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and Jim Beheim, Hall of Famers. We all think that's great. Why do we not think it's great? When it comes to the student athletes, I promise you, nobody in high school ever dreams of playing, um, you know, at the low major level. They dream of the high major level. If they're in the low major level, it's because it was the best opportunity they could have possibly they could get coming out of high school. And then they get there and they ball out 
And the high majors go, ooh, that, that guy could play at our level. We didn't see it coming out of high school, but we see it now. We should applaud when that person wants to bounce to the higher level. And, and not describe it as a bad thing, but an awesome thing of a young person actually achieving a dream, taking a different path, but achieving a dream. And to be clear, not all low major, low major and mid-major players will do this. Some will say, you know what? I like being the best player on my team. I like my roommates. I love my teammates. I've got a girlfriend who goes to college here. I love my coach. Like Mike Dom could have left South Dakota State basically whenever he wanted. Decided he didn't want to do that. And other players will, will decide that as well. Just like sometimes a mid-major coach turns down a high major opportunity. And so this is going to be a good thing. Not the bad thing some people suggest. It's going to be a good thing. And if you are a mid-major coach and you want to um, explain to your best player that usually when mid-major players go to the high-major player, the production goes real down. Your role will not be the same, probably. Then make that case, and then make the young let the young person make make a decision, whatever he thinks is best for him. But I couldn't be more behind this. I'm glad it's finally getting done. It's long overdue, but I'm glad it's finally getting done. I just hope. I mean, I really, really, really hope. Like we are just done forever with like transfer related hang up stories it's just been it's been an element of college sports coverage for a decade plus at this point and you know with regularity there is a story that is just you know is infuriating um and i hope this is just done like you know yeah it, whatever you'll have coaches um doing what they're going to do like off the record and talking and complaining about this stuff, but this should be, this should be basically it. Doesn't mean there won't be intriguing. Like there, uh, could we have a situation where a promising mid major or low major team looks up and loses legitimately like seven of its players to bigger schools? Yeah, that might happen. It really might happen. And that is going to absolutely suck for that coach and that coaching staff. But in terms of just like this push and pull, get them clear, get them not, let them transfer, give them his release. Like, we're done with this. We're done with it. It's done, you know, it's a new era going forward, and it's honestly, it's like eight or nine years overdue. All right, before we get out of here, um, Greg Marshall, the Wichita State coach, released another statement earlier this week. We're going to get into that next, but first... Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So, embattled, Wichita State coach Greg Marshall released another statement, a second statement about the allegations made up against him earlier this week. And among other things, he said this. In response to the allegations put forward in the media, I simply state unequivocally that I have never physically struck a player or colleague. He continued, allegations claiming otherwise are false. It is important that the investigation, this school, um, this investigation that Wichita State is is currently um, conducting, it is important that the investigation conclude its work without outside influence. An unrelenting character assassination by a member of the media, that's Jeff Goodman, uh, that repeatedly targets me and my family, threatens to undermine the impartiality of the investigation end quote. I should make it clear. <laughs> Greg Marshall didn't say it, Jeff Goodman. I was just sort of adding that to make mm-hmm. sure people understand. The unrelenting character assassinated by a member of the media uh, that seemed directed at, at, at Jeff Goodman, who, of course, interviewed more than 30 people connected to the Wichita State program to write the story that they published at stadium, uh, watchstadium.com last week. So, Norlander, what did you think of Greg Marshall's second statement because it goes way further than the first statement. In the first statement, he did not say he's never physically struck a player or colleague. In this one, he did. Well, my question for you is, why do you think Greg Marshall made this statement, which was six days after the stories uh, from Goodman and from the Athletic broke? Why do you think he made the statement he made six days removed? I'm just, I have a thought on a theory on it, but I was curious what you might think. I think he is. Um, b- been made aware or has reached the conclusion on his own that listen if you put your hands on a player it's over and so at that point you've got really one option if your goal is to try to keep your job and that is just to say didn't happen Mm -hmm. yeah um i think that yeah i think that's one of the two options here um i think that either Listen, I believe that he struck Shaq Morris. Shaq Morris is on the record multiple times. He now interviewed with the firm doing the investigation that happened on Tuesday. Other players have been interviewed this week and multiple eyewitness accounts. Um, I, I believe all of those people over Greg Marshall's word because Greg Marshall has a certain stake in this, obviously, to keep his multi-million dollar a year north of three, three, $3.5 million a year job. Um, so one of the options is that it's uh, it's been explained to him uh, by whomever that if if it's proven that you struck a player, you are going to lose your job, as you should, by the way. You could coach 37 years and be a great coach, and if in year 38 you find yourself having uh, connected your fist with the face or jaw or stomach or anything of, any, of one of your players and then you put your hands on an assistant, I don't care if you're Mike Krzyzewski. I don't care who you are. You deserve to lose your job. It's not. It shouldn't be tolerated in that space, period. So I think that was uh, expressed to him, and so now it's just um, I'll do whatever I got to do and say whatever I got to say to keep my job, and he's going to outright publicly deny this. He gave this statement, by the way, to the local reporter uh, at the Wichita Eagle. Um, The only other, I think, possibility for doing this and saying this, because it is an unequivocal denial. He is saying he didn't do it, which is uh, aggressive. Um, 
is that he has uh, a certain confidence about his position that has been um, that has been bolstered by potentially speaking to people of power and influence in and around Wichita State that he might be able to maintain his job uh, despite what could come from this investigation. And so because of that, uh, that's why he said what he said. Uh, but it is damn interesting that he said this. Six days removed from the story. Um, the indications are that this investigation should be wrapping up soon. I don't know if soon means all interviews will be done by the end of the week or early next week. Uh, I think at the earliest that we get a, re- a resolution on this is a probably about, uh, what, next Wednesday, next Thursday? I would think just, you know, trying to read the tea leaves. We will obviously have resolution before the season starts, but um, I did not anticipate Greg Marshall to come out and outright deny ever physically assaulting any player or assistant of his because those on-the-record accusations still stand pretty strong. Right, and the obvious question is, okay, if you never struck a player, why didn't you say that last Friday? The allegations haven't changed over the past week. It was last Thursday night, it was reported by The Athletic and by Stadium that I, I don't know if that allegation was actually in the athletic story. I don't remember if it was. It, there was actually the depiction of the incident was different from what Goodman had at stadium. But yes, there was uh, an allegation that he uh, that he had struck uh, that he had struck. Okay. Players. So so the allegations came out last Thursday night. He releases a statement on Friday and doesn't say I've never physically struck a player or a colleague then. Like why? If, if that's true, why didn't you say it then? Like it's the most serious Th- uh, threat to your job, career, reputation. If it is true that you've never physically struck a player or a colleague, that's the first thing I say in my Friday statement. It, it, I don't, I don't avoid that. Like if if you're accused of rape and you didn't rape, probably the first thing you say is I didn't do that. That that very specific thing I'm being accused of that did not happen. You don't talk about how my coaching style is not for everybody, and I, I push players, and you know I love my player. You say, hey, ah, uh, there are allegations against me that I struck a player and choked an assistant coach. I want to make it clear, I didn't do those things. He didn't say that on Friday. For me, that's a problem. So then the question becomes, why does he come back and say it? You know, the following week, I think it's an act of desperation you know we teach our children to always tell the truth in reality that's not a practical approach in every situation um sometimes it is sometimes it isn't but when the truth leads to an outcome that is similar to being caught in a lie you know if you're making 3.5 million dollars a year you might as well try the lie even if it's a hell mary and see if it a allows you to keep your job or b helps you get a better settlement let, let me put it this way i can actually uh, apply this to multiple basketball situations once upon a time bruce pearl was accused of having um a cookout at his home and prospects at his home in violation of ncaa rules among them aaron craft so Bruce and his coaching staff end up sitting down with the NCAA and they are asked about this. Now, in that moment, the best thing Bruce Pearl could have done, and Bruce would tell you this now, is tell the truth. Just tell the truth. It's not a big deal. It's a secondary violation. Tell the truth. You maybe lose some recruiting visits, whatever, but nobody gets fired. Nobody gets fired. In that situation, Bruce Pearl should have told the truth. He should have said, when the question is, was Aaron Kraft at your house on this football weekend? You say, uh, oh, yes, he was. Now, let me explain. Um, 
He was in town with his parents. It was an unofficial visit. Obviously, unofficial visits, you're not allowed to come to the coach's house. Um, we were having a cookout because the Vols were playing a football game. And his parents and, and, and Aaron showed up at our house. Now, I'm a little uncomfortable because I know they're not supposed to be there, but I'm also recruiting this kid, so I don't want to be um, rude or be perceived as rude and say, hey, you can't be here. You got to get out of here. Scram. So we, you know, they got something to eat and then we took a picture and then I, as politely as I could said, Hey, listen, I would love for you to stay here all day. I'd love for you to move in, but technically, technically, and this is stupid, but technically we're in violation of NCAA rules right now. You're on an unofficial visit. You're not supposed to be here. So it'd just be better if, um, you know, you weren't here right now, even if I'd love you to be here. And then they left and it was over. Just tell, that that would have been the truth. I mean, most of that was the truth. But like you could have said that, said the truth, and then it's a slap on the head and you're fine. Instead, he panicked. He, let's be nice, misled the NCAA. And it ended up costing him his job and cost him uh, years of his coaching career. He should have told the truth. Now let's go to Will Wade at LSU. He's been accused of paying players. That is what the NCAA is alleging. Now, I'm not saying Will did it, okay? I want to be clear about that. But let's, for the sake of the conversation, assume that he did. Well, if you admit to that, if you sit down with the NCAA and they say, did you pay this player? And you say, yeah, you know I did. You're done. It's over. So, yeah. so you, can't sur- you, you can't survive that one. So what's Will going to do? He's going to deny it. He's going he's gonna to say it didn't happen. So, Coach Wade, are you saying that these 11 different people are all making up stories? It's about you? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You just got to ride it out. And so there's there's one of two things will happen. Either you, and again, we're basing this on the hypothetical that these things actually happen. One of two things will happen. Either the lie will allow you to keep your job because they can't prove it, or you'll get caught in a lie and you'll be fired. But if you tell the truth, and the truth is that you actually did that. You'll be fired anyway. So I really do think that's what Greg Marshall is doing here. Like it, 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 and I say this, and I said this on the last podcast, and people got, uh, I don't know, irritated by it. But it's the truth. I like Greg Marshall. I hate that his coaching career might end this way. Um, I always knew that Greg was intense, uh, coached hard. I did not, because I heard somebody the other day say, I don't know why it's hard to believe that Greg Marshall punched a player. I'm like, it's hard for me to believe any coach would punch a player. It's so out of bounds. Like, I, I am not surprised by the verbal stuff. I am surprised that he actually punched a player, allegedly punched a player in the face. I've never seen that side of him. In fact, I, I've never seen the side of him that people uh, are bothered by, or at least I should say I've never been bothered by it. I like Greg Marshall. I like his family. I hate that this is maybe the way his college career ends. But that said... It defies logic to think that Shaq Morris and eight other people are all making this up. I mean, Goodman and two other media outlets have this from multiple sources that, yo, this thing happened. And it's not just like the story stops with Greg Marshall punched Shaq Morris. Like the details after that. And then Fred Van Vliet got upset and said, we're not practicing until Coach Marshall apologizes. So then Coach Marshall comes in and apologizes. Like, oh, that's made up too? Like, I just don't believe it. And so when you combine that with the fact that last Friday, when he released the lengthy statement, he had every opportunity at the top, in the middle, at the bottom, wherever, to say, I want to be clear. I never punched Shaq Morris. I never choked an assistant coach. He didn't say it then. So to say it now, I think, is more or less just an act of desperation. He's trying to do whatever he has to do to either save his job or get a better settlement. 
You're right. Um, the only other thing on this, uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see if it comes to fruition uh, as it relates to this whole issue, is that over the weekend, because um, there have been players that have stood up for Greg Marshall, and f- in fact, players that have played for him in recent seasons. Um, but on October 11th, so I guess on Sunday, uh, Eric Hamilton, who previously played at Wichita State and then transferred to Pitt, um, he tweeted official statement formulated and signed by the athletes that attended Wichita State University from 2015 to 2019 coming soon. Uh, anything else, especially coming from those that were not there every day during those years, is irrelevant. Um, and that is referencing uh, kind of putting, quote-unquote, testimony to um, what Shaq Morris and others uh, said in, in, in Goodman's story there. So that, to my knowledge, there's been nothing there. Um, I don't know if that is going to be made public, if that's the kind of thing that is going to be submitted uh, to the firm investigating the case. But it is notable. I mean, if you were going to have some sort of formal statement with 7, 14, 21, 37 signatures on it of players that are saying this is what happened and uh, you can take this as evidence, um, then that is also significant. But it remains to be seen uh, if that's going to happen. I mean, when you when you tweet something like that, that tells me it's like coming in the next couple of days. It's Thursday morning. We still haven't seen it. So that is just something I'm waiting to see if it surfaces in the next couple of days. Um that I think is the last thing that could really, aside from another allegation surfacing, um, that's the last thing that would really advance the story uh, before we get to an official announcement from Wichita State about the status of Greg Marshall. Here's the thing I don't understand. We now know that Goodman was working on this for like six months. He is the um, <laughs> the the uh, unrelenting media member who was going after this story. I won't say specifically going after Greg Marshall. I let other people debate that. But he was intensely going after this story. That's undeniable. So Greg's known this for a long time. I, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. Why would you not have gone to Shaq Morris five months ago? And said, hey, listen, remember what happened in practice? I want to make this right with you. I apologize then. I don't know if it played the right way. I want to apologize again. And is there anything I can do to help you and also make sure you never talk to a reporter about what happened in that practice? You could have probably, you could have, the way people in this country all the time make things go away that could be problematic God, I don't know why Greg wouldn't have made that. I'm not saying that it would have been the right thing to do. I'm just saying it would have been the, given where he's sitting right now, the smart thing to do. Because if you don't have Shaq Morris on the record, this story plays way differently. Yeah, I mean, it still plays, but it's different. But him being on but, the but, record is the, is the second, quote-unquote, best thing to this actually surfacing on video. Because if this is on video, we're done. We don't have video right. of this. If it's on right. video, the dynamic is completely altered. We don't have video of it. So that's another thing to consider with all this. Right. But like if you could have, I mean, you make $3.5 million a year. Could you have given Shaq Morris 20 grand to say, hey, if this ever comes up, I need you to say it didn't happen. Even if all your teammates are saying it did happen. If you're the guy saying it didn't happen, we might be okay. Again, hindsight 2020, but yeah, I'd have come I don't out. know if 20 grand is going to make you have a clear conscience, though. So credit, I don't know if that would have worked, uh, to be honest. I'm not convinced it would have. And Shaq Morris, and who's to say that the relationship was, you know, between the two? He might have been like, 
yeah, not going to happen. But you're right. Uh, uh, who's to say he didn't try? But I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, most people have a price. Maybe it's not 20 grand, but most people have a price, especially like I don't know what Chet Morris is up to these days, but you know, I, I doubt he's making a million dollars a year. Most people have a price. So anyway, that is a uh, still developing story and, and we'll see where it ends. But um, I, 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 you know, I, I wouldn't put it at 0% chance. Greg Marshall is coaching in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on November 25th, but I'd put it at, I think less than 50. Would you put it less than 50? Uh, in my, again, my opinion, you, you assault a player. You shouldn't have a job. I'm not going to put I, it at zero. I, I, but. I think most people agree with that, but like, we also aren't in charge of hiring and firing at Wichita I, State. I'm putting it at uh, chances Greg Marshall. Chances Greg Marshall is coaching in the what is this terrible name? They didn't name it the Scuffle for South Dakota. What is it's what? The, Chris the crossover something the Come crossover on. classic. First of all, it's not a classic. Okay, it's, not? it's the first time we've had this damn thing. We're referring to what used to be the Battle for Atlantis, which is now going to be held in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The field was officially announced yesterday, but we've known what it's going to be for like three weeks now. Um, so every team except Duke, which is Coach K was like, I'm not going to South Dakota. Um, so Dayton replaced Duke. And uh, because it was no longer in the Bahamas, um, it's not the Battle for Atlantis. It's the Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic or something like that it should have like been like we, we the champions classic was the champions classic even in year one uh well you know because they're champions you know i, I don't know if there's much <laughs> what, what's the crossover here i don't i don't anyway I, I, that's the that's the thing i honestly have no have no like battle for atlantis is kind of goofy but like it is atlantis and you know it, i guess it's a battle but like what is the crossover i have no idea scuffle for south dakota as far as i'm concerned the same damn way we're renaming arenas after players we're renaming tournaments and the scuffle Scuffle for South Dakota with uh, with the T in South Dakota being the four as well. Like, uh, do a little Jeterish stuff there. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the, the percentages that Greg Marshall is coaching in the scuffle for South Dakota. I mean, I'll put it at 10%, I guess. I do think there's there's something about that quote that he gave that just, I don't know, it raised my eyebrows to, like, do you have a certain outsized confidence at this moment? Uh, so, so we'll see. I'm on vacation next week, um, so I don't intend on being on the podcast. Uh, if Greg Marshall gets fired, uh, I'll make a deal. If, if Greg Marshall is fired next week, I'll, I'll I'll hop on and I'll do an emergency pod with the GP. Otherwise, you know, you you can miss me, and we'll 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 talk about this later on. I don't know if it's coming next week, though. I don't know if that decision's getting made in the next five or six or seven days, but I guess we'll see. Shouts to. Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell, and thank you for listening to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast once again in the middle of a stupid pandemic. If you enjoy it, please tell one person about it. And if you're not subscribed, please, 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 please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. And at the very least, at the very least, I will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.